Amen, brothers. You guys ready to get fired up about the Word of God? Well, I do bring you greetings from Manila, all 229 of them. Uh, God has really worked in a great way in Manila to turn things around. Uh, the church had lost, uh, by December, I lost about 75 members just because of all of the turmoil that had happened over there at the end of last year. And uh, God really turned it around. Richie and Elizabeth got there. In the last couple months, they've had 48 additions in the church, over 30 baptisms. And the church is very strong at 229 right now. Very healthy, very strong, and growing. And God's moving in such a great way there. Um, the, 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 uh, the Strong Courageous Conference was fantastic. I mean, I wasn't even going to go, honestly. There's a point where I wasn't even going to go. I was at the airport. Handed my passport. I'm about to get my flight. And they tell me my name is nowhere in the system. And the only flight available was over $4,000. And so I actually, just, just because, I bought the $4,000 flight knowing that I could cancel it if I needed to. And I just prayed for a miracle. And I missed the first flight that I was supposed to be on that I was actually never signed up on. So I guess I never actually missed it. But I... I missed it mentally. And then I waited. And I was about to get on the $4,000 flight. And I, I intentionally missed it because I was just praying for a, a cheaper miracle. And um, I just waited there. And I waited there. And I'm looking online. Nothing is cheaper than $4,000. And then, boom, this flight pops up $1,300. And it was like $1,300, $3,000, $4,000, $5,000, $6,000. And I was like, it's at one seat left. And I was like, you know what? It's a little more than my last one, but I need to go to this conference. So I book it, uh, take off a couple hours later. Um, 30 hours later, I land in Manila and uh, got to Manila and we just hit the ground running. Uh, went to a couple back-to-back appointments. Um, and then that evening, we had a speaker's dinner because I had some, uh, some of the lessons over the weekend. And I go up to my room to take a quick little nap to get ready for the, for the speaker's dinner. And I just knock out. All of the jet lag just hits me at once. And the speaker's dinner was at 7. I got a, a phone call at 7.30. You know, the, those hotel rooms are loud. You can't ignore that for very long. And I pick up the phone and it's his brother RJ Castro and he's like hey bro so uh, are you are you still coming to the dinner and I'm like oh no I jump up change real quick and sprint across the street to the speaker's dinner which was awesome we were there for a few hours got to share about all you guys during the good news sharing um, and then uh, Thursday morning it was just time to go we had the the leadership conference in the morning um, then I had back-to-back appointments all Thursday afternoon the general session started Thursday night, uh, had, a, had, an, had a meeting after that. Uh, Friday morning had a meeting and then the conference started again at 9 a.m. Uh, then I had meetings all afternoon and then we had the conference again Friday night. And then we had the Mercy Day all day on Saturday, which was incredible. I was actually very inspired. The, the Mercy Day, we, we met the needs of about 200 kids. And these are, these are all kids from Brinton's age all the way up until, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. And we were in this uh, giant uh, Catholic building. They, were, they asked us to come help. And we're all wearing Mercy shirts. And, you know, we're feeding the kids. We're playing with the kids. We're doing games with the kids. There's actually a picture on Facebook of me dressed in toilet paper. I was one of the four uh, participants in the toilet paper game. And so... Then there was this one section off to the side where all the kids were getting dental work done. And these little kids with no Novocaine are getting their teeth pulled, are getting, getting their teeth drilled. I mean, no tears, no crying, no screaming, wow. no twisting and turning. They just toughed it out. And I was inspired. And then had some Saturday night engagements. Sunday was the longest day. I had a 7 a.m. appointment. Then we had another one. And then we had church at 10. And then I had stuff all evening. And by 9, 8, 9 p.m., got back to my room and just crashed. And then uh, Monday was a little more relaxed. Got to see the city and tour a little bit. Um, and uh, I, I went to this mall. And I actually got some dental work done. Um, I got a filling. It was, uh, it was twice the price because the, the filling needed to be done on two different teeth. 
Um, so a whopping $44 later, uh, got my feeling done. But uh, the, like I said, no Novocaine. So they're drilling up in my teeth, and all I could think about was that nine-year-old just taking it. <laughs> they're just drilling. I'm like, oh, you know, it was, like, it was horrible. And then they then they fill it up. The pain went away, and my heart stopped racing. And you know, two and a half hours later, I left the dental office. But um, I was like I said, I was inspired by those kids. Um, so then on Tuesday, I uh, had, a, had a couple things and then went straight to the airport. And so it was an amazing time. Um, far from any sort of vacation, it was just amazing just being with all the disciples, getting a lot of discipling, doing a lot of discipling. They have um, ICCM there, Armor Bears. They have about 30 people on staff. And so um, I got with most of their staff one-on-one just to disciple them and talk to them, uh, a lot of young people, but a church growing that fast needs a lot of leadership. And so it was an amazing time. Thank you guys so much for sending me. Um, it was really, really awesome getting to uh, strengthen the church and of course being strengthened myself. Um, the title of the conference was Strong and Courageous. I mean, you can't go wrong with a conference, Strong and Courageous. And it was a lot of study in the book of Joshua. And it really was incredible. I mean, I was so moved. By the end of it, I felt strong and courageous. And so tonight, as the evangelist of the Seattle church, I hope to inspire you with some of the stuff that I learned. And uh, I'm not going to title our lesson Strong and Courageous, but I hope by the end of it, you are feeling strong and courageous. Um, Tuesday was awesome. Tuesday, I got to preach at their staff, um, at their staff meeting. Uh, They had about 30 full-time staff members. And... Um, I did this lesson about uh, the harvest is plentiful. And after writing it and after preaching it, I just thought, you know, I think the Seattle church needs this lesson as well. So uh, that's the that's the lesson we're going to go through here tonight. It's called the harvest is plentiful. Amen. Look over in Psalm 105. We'll pick up the reading here in verse 24. You know. God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous three different times in Joshua chapter 1. And he doesn't stop saying, be strong and courageous. He goes, hey Joshua, be strong and courageous. Joshua, be strong and courageous. Hey Joshua, have I not told you? Be strong and courageous. And then Joshua gets up and engages with the leaders. And so, what was God expecting of him? Why did he keep repeating himself? The word courageous in the Hebrew is the same as our vigorous. It's an action word. God was expecting Joshua to go do something. It's not about feeling strong or feeling courageous, but really truly living out your convictions. And God was going to repeat himself to Joshua until he got up and he did something. And so finally Joshua gets up and he does something and he goes to the people and then Joshua tells the people, Hey guys! Be strong and courageous. In other words, we're going to cross the Jordan River in three days. So you better get ready to be vigorous and to go. Wow, that's awesome. In Psalm chapter 105, verse 23, it says, Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes, whose hearts he turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. You know, right here we see that it is God that made his people very fruitful. I mean, the expectation for Adam and Eve was to be fruitful and to fill the earth. The expectation for Moses and for the people that were taken away to Egypt was to be very fruitful and to... Fill Egypt with God's people. The expectation for God's people once they got into the promised land after crossing the Jordan was to be fruitful and to fill the promised land with God's people. The expectation for the church in the first century was to be very fruitful and to fill the world with disciples. You know, God expects us to be fruitful, but it is the Lord that makes his people very fruitful. Do you guys believe that? Fruitfulness is not just going to come upon you. It is God that makes you very fruitful. Do you want to be fruitful? Yes. I think we all want to be fruitful. 
I think we all want to see the fruit of God in our life. I think we all want to be a part of fruitful labor where we can be making disciples and seeing multiplication of God's church. Look over in Matthew chapter 9. Come on, you can't talk about the harvest is plentiful and not read Matthew chapter 9. It's true. So here we are, Matthew chapter 9 and verse 35. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest fields. You know, right here, Jesus sees the crowd and he has compassion on them. And he views them as sheep without a shepherd. You know, it's so easy to look at the world and see them as sheep without a shepherd. It doesn't take a genius to figure out that the world has no spiritual true leadership. And yet the question is, are we going to have compassion on them like Jesus had? And then he calls his guys to pray. For the harvest? No. For the workers. The harvest is plentiful. This is a promise of God. There is no question as to whether the harvest is plentiful. There is no question as to whether people in your family or people at your job or people around you at school are open. God placed you there because the harvest is plentiful. Do you believe that? I mean, this passage would read the same at your work as it does here tonight. This passage would read the same at your school or at your family reunion or in your household as it does here tonight. The harvest is plentiful. The question is, do you have the heart to bring in the harvest? My first point tonight is prepare your heart. The harvest is plentiful. There, there is no question. But do you have the heart? Do we as a church have the heart to bring in the harvest and take care of the harvest? Look over in Matthew chapter 13. You know, we have an incredible opportunity coming up here. To bring in the harvest for Women's Day. Amen? Amen. You know, it was so awesome that while we were down there in Manila, uh, Emma shared good news about John and and shared with everyone that John Causey at the L.A. Women's Day had seven of his own women visitors at the Women's Day. John also had a visitor at the Eugene Women's Day. Her name is Crystal, and she was just baptized this past Sunday. So who are you going to bring out to the Women's Day? I want to give the brothers a challenge. That collectively, as the brothers of the Seattle Church, we will have at least 20 visitors at the Women's Day. 20 guests. 20 women that we reached out to that we helped get registered for the Women's Day. You guys down with that? Yeah, yeah, My challenge to you is if right now you don't have a commitment, that you need to fast until you get a commitment. You go, well, fast from what? Fast. A Bible fast. A water fast. Don't eat anything until you personally have a woman, a woman that commits to say, I am going to be at Women's Day. Not like, yeah, I'll try to make it. Or, yeah, I'll see. Let me get back, let me get back to you. But no, hey, I will be at Women's Day. So much so that you are convinced that you show up to the airport with your passport in hand, super giddy and ready to go to Manila, excited, and then sadly maybe you find out it was canceled. But I mean, you are that convinced. That convinced. Amen? Let's really go after it. Because Women's Day is going to benefit the entire church. And really, if we haven't gotten a visitor by now, we need to fast anyways. To get a commitment. I mean, we've been talking about this for months. Amen, guys? So as the brothers, can we get behind the women for the Women's Day? And, you know, I know God is going to really bless us in a great way. But let's go after getting at least 20 women out to the Women's Day for our dear sisters who have worked so tirelessly and so hard to make this event so awesome. Amen? Amen. Um, In Matthew chapter 13, we read this passage in verse 19. And 
I know that many of us have read the parable of the sower before. And Jesus, of course, is talking to a crowd. But rather than being the teachers of this passage, tonight, let's be the crowd. Amen? Amen. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in the heart. This is the seed that was sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 and 30 times what was sown. You know, right here, we see the four different paths that the seed, the word of God, is sown in. Number one, you got the first soil, which is the path. This is the hard seed, the hard path. This, this path never becomes a Christian. Secondly, you got the second soil, which is the rocky soil. This one becomes a Christian, but quickly falls away. The third one is the thorns. This one is in the kingdom, but unfruitful, not maturing. And the fourth soil, of course, is the good soil, which bears much fruit. And we all want to be the good soil. Amen? Amen. Now, I know that no one here is the first soil. Amen? We, we made it into the kingdom. Amen? Amen? But if you're not being fruitful, there's one of two options here. Either there are rocks in your life and you're about to fall away. Or there are thorns in your life and it's choking you out. Now, the amazing thing about this passage is the path can be tilled, the rocks can be removed, the thorns can be cut down. Anybody can become good soil. So no matter who I'm talking to tonight, this passage is good for you. Amen? Amen. But if there are rocks in your your walk with God, if there are things that are keeping you from gaining deep convictions, could be a lack of discipline, could be persecution, could be character issues, but things that are eventually going to take you out of the kingdom. You've got to be careful and remove those rocks. If you're getting choked out, financial stress, stress from school, the worries of this world, the deceitfulness of wealth, if you actually think that you can buy your way into heaven, You've got to cut those thorns out of your life. You've got to seek first the kingdom and trust that Jesus will take care of you. You've got to cut those thorns out. And then you remove the rocks. You remove the thorns. You will be good soil. And the good soil, God just goes down. He scoops it up. It falls between his fingers. That's the kind of soil that God can scatter the word of God in. He can plant his seed and you will bear much fruit. No questions asked. But I believe we want to be the good soil. Yeah. Amen. We got to look in the mirror tonight and go, what is keeping me from having the heart that I need to have so that God can use me? To bear much fruit. You guys with me here? You got to seriously consider. What are your rocks? What are your thorns? What's keeping you from bearing fruit? And then we'll be the good soil. And then God can use you in a great way. The issue is never the word of God. It's never the seed. Isn't that awesome? We can trust the seed. The seed is the word of God. It is perfect. It's not the harvest. It's promised. The harvest is plentiful. The issue is our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts for the incredible harvest. You know, in Luke chapter 8, it's the parallel passage to this. Right here it says that you get choked out by the thorns and you do not bear fruit. But in Luke chapter 8, in the parallel passage, it says that you do not mature. And so there is a direct correlation between maturity and fruitfulness. 
And if we all want to become mature, we're saying we really want to bear fruits. And if we want to bear fruits, you are going to mature. You guys with me here? Yeah. Let's look over in Hebrews chapter 5. Come on. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, it says, We have much to say about this, but it's hard to make it clear to you because you are no longer trying to understand. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taking forward to maturity, to fruitfulness, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God, instruction about cleansing rites and laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and God permitting, we will do so. According to this passage, constant use, training yourself, being trained, Moving on to maturity. These things are not fully in your control. You see, because right here in chapter 6, verse 3, it says, And God permitting, we will do so. We will do what? Be taken on to maturity. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That you can do all the right things and still not be taken on to maturity. God will not be moved because we're going through the Christian routine. We've got to personally... Walk with God and move God if we want to be moved to maturity, if we want to be moved to fruitfulness. You know, I went around with this passage to all the Manila disciples at staff, and I pulled out this pen. Now, this is a a Mont Blanc pen. Who knows about Mont Blanc? This is a pen that has been around for over 100 years, and uh, nowadays they're very expensive. They cost between $250 and over $1,000 for these pens. And God so willed it that when I was in Manila, I found one on sale for $3. Yeah, I was in this flea market, you know, and they had all these Mont Blanc pens for like $2, $3. I mean, they had Louis Vuitton bags for $10. I was like, whoa, this is the greatest sale I've ever seen in my life. I mean, don't tell me that they were fake. I want to believe that it was all real. So I, so, so taking advantage of the sale, make the most of every opportunity, I bought two Mont Blanc pens, which I know I could resell on eBay for a thousand bucks a piece. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta work on some missions here. So I bought two Mont Blanc pens. Well, God put it on my heart to go to the Manila staff meeting and take one of them and say, listen, if anybody can answer this question, I will give you a Mont Blanc pen, which in Filipino money is about 10,000 pesos. They're like, ooh. I said, yeah, but I found it on sale for 150 pesos. They're like, what? Anyways, so we went around the room, and I said, very simple question. According to this passage, how does a disciple move on to maturity? I mean, we had remnant disciples. We had Richie and Elizabeth. We had all their ICCMers. All the answers, I just went around one by one by one by one by one. How, according to this passage, do we get taken on to maturity? And no one knew the answer. No one knew the answer. This is a very vital passage. We all know, dear friends, brothers and sisters in the faith, they were constantly using the scriptures. They knew the difference between right and wrong, good and evil. They had quiet times. They were praying. They were at church every week. But eventually, they fell away. So is this passage not true? No. Just because you're doing all the right things does not mean God's going to take you on to maturity. Just because you're obeying A, B, C, D, E, F, G does not entitle you to salvation. We've got to get out of our American, societal, humanistic perspective of God. Throw it in the trash. If God does not want you to move on to maturity, you will not move on to maturity. Sadly, people have been in the kingdom Some for years, 
some for decades and are not bearing fruit. Is the issue that this is not their gift? No. Jesus says in Matthew or John 15, if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. So is that passage not true because all these weak brothers and sisters aren't bearing fruit? No. It's true. My challenge to you, brothers, is move God. Prepare your personal heart. Come to church, read your Bible, pray here and there. That's not going to necessarily skate you on into heaven. You could eventually fall away like the rocky soil, or you could, to your shame, be around the kingdom of God for a long time and be choked out and not live up to your potential and not bear fruit. Now, I know that's not who I'm talking to tonight. Come on, Joe. I know you guys hate your rocks. I know you hate your thorns. So do something about it. Be the heart that you need to have. I mean, rip those thorns out of your heart. Take those rocks out of your heart. Prepare your heart for the harvest. God needs to permit fruitfulness. I mean, you look back at what God did in Seattle the last two years. It still blows my mind. Still blows my mind. We went a year. And the church had only grown from 25 to 28. Now, we're grateful for whoever those three souls were. But that is not much fruit. That is not 30, 60, or 100 times as much kind of fruit. There was something wrong in the church. Amen? Amen. Can we say that without ruffling any feathers? Can we all be honest and say we had issues? And then what happened? God moved. God moved. And all these brothers started popping out of the woodworks. Terry gets baptized. Tim gets restored. Joe comes out of the woodworks. Christopher gets baptized. Jonathan gets baptized. I mean, just look around. The, all the brothers that just came out of nowhere. The Lord made his people very fruitful. Isn't that awesome? Yes. So does that mean we get to just kind of sit back and chillax for a little bit? No, no, no. Kick our feet up, let our hair down, and take off the armor of God? No. No, we got to move God. Right. To continue to move the ministry. You guys with me here? Secondly, you've got to understand that you personally are chosen by God. Look over in John chapter 15. You are chosen by God. I hope and pray we're ready to prepare our hearts. But that's not going to matter if you don't believe you're chosen by God. In John 15 and verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you're the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 8. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. You know, I love this passage. He says, if you remain in me, I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. But if you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. The issue is always our hearts, right? And then in verse 8, he says, this is my Father's glory. There's two things here that bring God glory. Number one, that we bear much fruit because we've been remaining in him. But number two, that we show ourselves to be disciples. And then he closes out in verse 16. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Not just the rocky kind of fruit, but fruit that's going to last. Isn't that awesome? I mean, so often we think, man, I decided to become a Christian. I decided to study the Bible. I decided to get baptized. I decided to come around the kingdom. And therefore, we feel entitled to walk away. We go, I'm deciding to fall away. But when you understand that you were chosen by God, 
Not I chose God and then, you know, that's how I came to the kingdom. No, no. God chose you. God was working on your heart for years to get you ready for that day. God had been going after you. I mean, he went after you through hardship. He went after you through blessing, through family members, through friends, through strangers. But he was doing all this stuff behind the scenes to get you ready. He went after you so you could come into the kingdom. And we all need to be grateful to God that he chose us out of the world to come into his kingdom. You know, one of my favorite movies is Gladiator. And there's this incredible scene in Gladiator. It's actually in the very beginning. They just got done fighting a battle. And, you know, the, of course they, they, they won. And Russell Crowe is just a monster in Gladiator. And at the very beginning, he's one of the generals of the army. And Caesar calls him into the tent. And he needs to have a discussion with him. And they're just reminiscing a little bit. The battle's over. They're having this discussion. And he goes, Maximus, describe to me. Tell me about home. Tell me about your family. Because it had been nearly two years since he had been home to see his family. And Maximus closes his eyes and he starts to reminisce and he tells him about the golden fields and his kid and his, and his wife and his beautiful home on a hill. And Caesar goes, I envy you, Maximus. Is it worth fighting for? Maximus nods his head yes. And Caesar goes, there's one more duty that I ask of you before you go home. Maximus says, what would you have me do, Caesar? Caesar says, I want you to become the protector of Rome after I die. I will empower you to one end alone, to give power back to the people of Rome and to end the corruption that has crippled it. Would you accept this great honor that I have offered you? Maximus says, with all my heart, no. Caesar says, Maximus, that is why it must be you. You know, sometimes we look in the mirror and we go, why me? Look at me. No talent, not the best looking guy. I didn't really have much going on in my life. I didn't have much future. Didn't have many dreams. My girlfriend wasn't all that pretty. I, really, I didn't really have much going for me. And God looks down and he goes, that's why it must be you. Because you're humble enough to admit it. God didn't choose the arrogant, the prideful, the conceited, the most talented, because they don't have room for God. He chose the things that are not to shame the things that are. He chose the foolish to shame the wise. The weak to shame the strong. You ask why me? And God goes, that's why. That's why. He said, I don't want dudes walking around my kingdom like, oh yeah, I got myself here. I chose God. What's going on, man? You see, you see my fly kicks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's not who God chose. He chose the lowly things of the world. He chose you and he chose me. You've got to remember, you are chosen by God for that purpose and that purpose alone. You know, Jesus says, remain in me, abide in me, dwell in me, live in me, is what remain means. Paul says it a little bit differently in Colossians 3, 4. He says, Christ is your life. We are not Christians. We are, we are not following Jesus. We don't, we don't call ourselves disciples and we just happen to have a prayer life. No, we live lives of prayer. We don't happen to share our faith. No, we preach everywhere we go from house to house. We never stop preaching the word of God. We don't pray here. No, you live a life of prayer. You got free time, you pray. That's who we are. We live in God. Christ is your life. We're remaining in Jesus. We've got to be strong spiritually. So often we come home, we, we kick our feet up, we let our hair down, and if you're not careful, you take off the armor of God. You get snappy with your roommates. Your room is a mess. Your car is a mess. You have no discipline at home. You're waking up late. You're skipping through your alarms. I mean, who you are at home is who you are. 
You can come here and you can fool all of us all day long. But who you are at home is who you are. When no one else is watching, only God, that's who you are. This isn't about coming to the fellowship and putting your best foot forward and trying to look all good and know you have been a Christian all week long. Who you are at home is who you are. How pure you are at home is how pure you are. How clean your room is is how clean your heart is. We got to have spiritual households full of spiritual brothers. You guys with me here? This isn't about putting on a show for anybody. This is about literally, really, spiritually, physically walking with God. Come on, bro. We don't take off our armor of God for nobody. We've got to walk with God. You guys with me here? Our households have got to be representative of our spiritual lives, of our hearts, and how we're doing. And we've got to really focus in on our spirituality. With God, you got to prepare your hearts. You got to believe that you're chosen by God and know that God cares very deeply for your soul. Look in Leviticus chapter 26. You got to believe that you're chosen to be faithful. There's this incredible passage in Leviticus. Frankly, we don't read it enough. It's really amazing. I've got it underlined in red. I really like this passage. In Leviticus chapter 26, verse 9 says, I will look on you with favor and make you fruitful and increase your numbers and I will keep my covenant with you. You will still be eating last year's harvest when you still have to move it out to make room for the new. I will put my dwelling place among you and I will abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you will be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, so that you would no longer be slaves to the Egyptians. I broke the bars of your yokes and enabled you to walk with your heads held high. Isn't it awesome? God chose us to be faithful. I mean, are you really enjoying the harvest of last year? Don't you just love the abundant harvest of last year? The the church, the new vibes, the energy, the joy that we get Sundays, over 70 people every week at church. I mean, we're enjoying the harvest, aren't we guys? We're enjoying the harvest in the brotherhood. This This is an awesome place to be. But you know what? God says it's time to move the harvest aside and make room for even more. I mean, you're going to be taking care of these young Christians and growing them up in the faith. And you're growing yourself spiritually when God gives even more harvest to the church. God says, I'm going to make you very fruitful. I'm going to bring in the harvest. You're going to have to move the old harvest aside. The young Christians are going to have to step up and help us bring in the new harvest. And he says, move it all aside. I'm going to give you even more. And then as you get even more, he says, I'm going to dwell among you. I'm going to walk through your streets. I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. He says, I'm going to take up my covenant with you, but you've got to stay faithful to me. I'm going to enable you to walk with your heads held high, brothers. I'm going to be in your household. I'm going to be with you at work. I'm going to be with you on the way to work. I'm going to be with you on campus. I'm going to be with you all the time. So you better walk with your head held high. Isn't that awesome? Just the faith that God gives us that he's going to be by our side and he's going to choose us as his people. Isn't that great? I mean, you've got to believe that you are chosen by God. Do you believe it, brothers? You're not just saying it to me. Do you believe it in your heart that you are chosen by God to do great things in his kingdom? Well, thirdly, If our hearts are in the right place and we believe that we're chosen, it's very important that we stick together. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. We must stick together. I couldn't think of a better illustration than the rice in Manila. That rice just sticks to everything. I mean, you'll finish your meal... And you'll think you're done, and you'll find more, root, more rice in the bottom of your spoon, underneath your plate, on the person next to you. I mean, that rice gets everywhere. I mean, and you can, never, you can never finish it. It's just everywhere. It's stuck on the table. It's everywhere. Wow. That needs to be the church. We just yeah. stick together Come on. like Filipino rice. 
You know, Michael Jordan said this. He said, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. You want to talk about privilege. People in Manila don't even know who Michael Jordan is. I know. I had to educate him before I could even give that quote. I was like, you don't know who Michael Jordan is. Ooh, you're the prank over here. But you know, talent wins games, but teamwork and intelligence wins championships. I have no doubt that we can win some games in this room. We'll win some games. Our talent in this room alone will win some games. We'll have a couple baptisms. We'll have some great services throughout the year. But if you want to string those wins together, enough to actually get a championship, we need God. Yeah. We need each other. We need intelligence. We need teamwork. We need the word of God and we need unity if we're going to win some championships in Seattle. I think every year Seattle can take the title. I think every year we can take the title. I think we can string it up enough wins throughout the year. A cranking Women's Day. Some amazing Bring Your Neighbor Days. Tons of baptisms. We hit the campus hard. We have a great camping trip. Awesome fall harvest. We just got wins all year long. By the end of the year, we're going to win the championship. We look around and we go, wow, look at the unity. Look at the harvest and look at this trophy. This crown given to us by the Lord. You guys ready to win a championship this year? You ready to not just have some wins here and there, but to win a championship? Then like Michael Jordan says, we need unity and we need the word of God. Let's stick together in Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 1 it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond a peace. You know, some people are mistaken about unity. They think, man, you know, I really got to get unified with this brother. Really got to get unified with my leader. I got to get unified with my wife. Got to get unified with so-and-so, my roommate, with the sister. You don't got to get unified. I got good news for you. The moment you were baptized, you were perfectly united with the body of Christ. Amen. And according to this passage, we don't get unified We keep the unity of the spirits. The only reason that there won't be unity is you. You are the only reason that you won't be unified with somebody else. It's not the Holy Spirit's fault. Because the Holy Spirit has perfectly united us together in the waters of baptism. And this is great news. Because that means that if our relationships in this room are tight, if they're strong... If there's unity and cohesion amongst us, God can do anything with his people. God can do anything with his people. Unity is far more important than the plan. It's It's far more important. I mean, you think of Jonathan and the armor bearer. What was the plan? All right, armor bearer, we're going to go to battle today. Where are we going? I don't know. We'll figure it out. Oh, hey, Philistine outpost. I got a plan. Oh, okay, what's the plan? I know we only got one sword. But how about this? If they say go up, we'll go. And if they say stay down, we'll stay. How's that sound? Robert Bear's like, dude, I'm with you. I'm with your heart and soul, man. (laughs) That's what you want to do. Let's do it. And they went up that filthy outpost and killed 20 dudes. God blessed a bad plan because the brothers were unified. He goes, well, that's only one example in the Old Testament. Peter and the guys fishing all night. All night. Jesus comes along and says, hey, how's the catch? Jesus, we've been fishing all night. We haven't caught a daggone thing. Um, Throw the net on the other side of the boat. (laughs) Because you say so. Whoa! So much fish, the boat begins to sink and the nets begin to break. You go, well, that's not a very good plan. Exactly. Because you say so. Because they were unified with Jesus, God blessed the plan. Listen, I've got a lot of bad plans to present to you guys. I got tons of bad plans. We're going to be doing bad plans all year long. It's probably not the best plan. You probably saw better plans on Facebook by some baby Christian down in Orange County or something like that. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present a lot of bad plans. I'm not the best leader in the world. But I tell you this. If we're unified in my bad plans, it's going to work every time. God's going to bless it, not because of the plan, or certainly not because of the man behind the plan or the men behind the plan. But if we're totally unified, 
God's going to bless it. There are way better plans for attacking campus ministry than campus blitz. But why does it keep working for us? Because we're unified in it. And now we all believe it's the best idea ever. We do. We think it's the best idea ever. I mean, we're telling all our friends, all the campus ministers are wondering, like, what's going on in Seattle? Campus blitz, baby. It works. It works for us because we're totally unified. Oh, we got a lot of bad plans. Just leave the calendar. I mean, we did our best to put that baby together for the year, but trust me, it's, there, there, are better, there are better ideas out there. But God's going to bless it because of the unity. Amen? Amen. Amen. Look over in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Come on, bro. Two more passages, Terry, and then you can go to sleep. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Verse 5. If anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to, put too, not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. Now instead, you ought to forgive and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed by successive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient in everything. Any, anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there is anything for, to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake, in order that Satan might not outwit us. For we are not unaware of his schemes. You take the you out of unity, and it doesn't spell unity anymore. You are the only reason that you and your brother won't be unified. And the scripture teaches right here, at the very end, if you read it backwards, Satan is trying to outwit us. That he has schemes against us. And that if his number one goal is to divide us, and trust me, it's his number one goal. If Jesus is praying the night before his betrayal and he's about to die on the cross and his last prayer in John 17 is, I pray for the unity of the people, then trust me, Satan's number one goal is to get us disunified. And if he can wedge himself between us in this room, if he can just wedge his way just a little bit, and in time a little bit more and a little bit more and cause any sort of disruption in your relationships... If there's any severance of unity in this room whatsoever, because we're only as strong as our weakest link. If there's any severance, there's a lack of forgiveness. And Paul says, when you forgive, I forgive. If you feel good about the relationships, I feel good about the relationships. That's how unified Paul was with the church. That he was willing to put his own salvation on the line for other people's unification. Isn't that intense? Yeah. And right here, it says that we need to learn how to forgive. Now, I want to take it up a notch. I don't think our challenge in this room is forgiveness. I mean, the first century, they're dealing with very severe things in the church, like men sleeping with other men's wives. All right? We're not dealing with that kind of stuff in the church. We're dealing with like, hey, bro. Put your underwear away. Hey, do your dishes. All right, I trust that we can forgive in this room. But my challenge is we need to learn to forgive quickly. Come on. Quickly. Because the faster we can get unified, the faster God can work. The faster God can continue to bless the unity of the brotherhood. I believe that it's our teamwork. It's our unity that's a godly thing that will be blessed by God. Not the plans. The noble man makes the noble plans. It's the noble deeds that make it stand. It's the man and the deeds, not the plan. We need to really take this to heart and look around this room. Is there anybody in the church that you're not totally unified with? You go, well, I... I, I said I forgive you. I think I'm forgiving. Okay, well, what's, what's the acid test here for true forgiveness? He says, number one, you're going to comfort him. It's more than words. It's comfort. 
And number two, it's reaffirming your love. So it's not just, I forgive you, but it's a warm, comfort, embrace. I love you. I forgive you. I believe in you. I'm here for you. Are you doing okay? What do you need? I want to reaffirm it. Dude, I love you. When you have that level of forgiveness, now you're talking about forgiveness. And when we have that in the church and true unity all around, this brotherhood is going to be unstoppable by Satan. He certainly will not outwit us. The harvest is plentiful. Prepare your hearts. Believe that you're chosen by God and stick together. Let's close in Joshua 23. Joshua is about to die and he gives his farewell speech in verse 1. He says, After a long time it passed and the Lord had given Israel rest from all their enemies around them. Joshua, by then a very old man, kind of like Peter, summoned all Israel. No, actually he was... He was, he was actually twice as old as Peter. He was actually twice as old as Peter. He's about 110 years old right here. Very old man. Summoned all Israel, their elders, leaders, judges, and officials, and said to them, I am very old. You yourselves have seen everything the Lord your God has done to all those nations for your sake. It was the Lord your God who fought for you. Remember how I have allotted as an inheritance for, all, for your tribes all the land of the nations that remain? The nations I conquered between the Jordan and the Mediterranean Sea in the, in the west? The Lord, will, the Lord your God himself will push them out for your sake. He will drive them out before you and you will take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. Be very strong. Be careful to obey all that is written in the book of the law of Moses without turning aside to the law or without turning, turning aside to the right or to the left. Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them or bow down to them, but you are to hold fast to the Lord, your God, as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand because the Lord your God fights for you just as he promised. So be very careful to love the Lord your God. You know, guys, it's, the harvest is plentiful, but it's the Lord that's going to give us a great harvest. Yeah. It's the Lord that's going to close out the spring, take us through the summer, close out the fall and give us a great championship this upcoming December. It's God that's going to do it. But we still need to, as it says right here in verse 6, we need to be very careful to obey what is written in the book of the law. But then lastly, he says, be very careful, verse 11, to love the Lord your God. You see, I'm not here to command you to be fruitful. I believe God promises the fruitfulness. Our call is to be faithful. Our call is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, and all our minds. And that's how God's going to bring us a great harvest. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's... uh...